brother of Jesus and uh, the interesting reality that Jesus had brothers and sisters and that his brother, James, later goes on to be one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church and he is a teacher and a leader and it's a powerful truth to recognize that here's someone who saw Jesus. He saw how he lived. He knew how he talked as a 10-year-old or a 5-year-old. He knew Jesus' life. And yet here in his life, he commits to being one of the ambassadors for Christ, one of the main declarers of the gospel in the time that he lived. And he even so much as to write a book to encourage us that 2,000 years later, we're reading it and we're studying it and we're investing in it so that we can know it even better. And if you were with us, then I'm just recapping a little bit. If you weren't with us, you can go to our website. All of these things are there. If you go to Facebook or YouTube, um, you can see these messages uh, that we went through. We started with considering at pure joy and how when you consider it pure joy when you go through challenges in life it kind of redefines life it changes your orientation now all of a sudden all everything in life is worth praising God about and that considering it pure joy even though that's a very tough statement and something tough to live out it's a powerful truth if you can apply it to your life and that even today whatever you came here with whatever issues you're struggling with if you can consider it pure joy knowing that God can use that for his glory and for growing you and maturing you and making you into what he wants you to be. And then we talked about living out what you learn, that we don't just want to learn things. We don't want to be smarter Christians. We want to be more obedient Christians. We want to follow the teaching. We want to live out. The teaching was given to be applied. We talk about paint. Paint is useless until it's applied. If you don't apply the truth, it doesn't matter how much truth you know. If you haven't applied it, it becomes useless. And so we're to apply the truth that we know. And that everyone matters, that everyone on the earth that you'll ever meet, has, have you've ever met in your life, God has placed his image upon them, therefore they have value. He died on a cross giving them the ability to be saved, therefore they have value. That means every person, no matter if they think the exact opposite of you on every issue, no matter if they act in ways that you don't think is right, you have to love them and have, see value in them and see a potential. It's not about where they are, it's but where God can take them. See a potential in every human being, even the lowliest of the low, seeing that all of us deserve the punishment of sin and separation from God in hell forever. And yet, through God's grace and Christ's sacrifice, we are able to live in communion with him. And then we talked about the power that faith is more than knowledge. Our faith is more than knowledge, because even we're told Satan knows and the demons know a lot. It's not knowledge. It's faith. It's trusting that knowledge and then living out that knowledge. And James has pushed the point that we need to be doers of this. We can't talk about it. We can't gather every Sunday and say, yeah, that's great. That's great. We need to do it. We need to apply it and live it out. And so we're called to be faithful in our stewarding what God has given us to do in our lives. And then today we're going to talk about the power of words. The power of words. And as it's, it's, to me, it's interesting it's Mother's Day because probably for you and for, for me, we would relate that one of the hardest things to get kids to do properly is to speak properly. First, you train them to speak, and then they learn all the bad words. To me, it's so interesting because I've been on quite a few mission trips. I've been to Colombia and Haiti and uh, Central America, South America. The one thing that's always surprised me is as I play with the kids and I get to know the people, we try to always in, in, engage with the communities. They know swear words in English. They don't know anything else but swear words. 
I'm like, why? It's obviously it's sin nature, but the truth is, is that our tongues so easily slip into that direction. Our words, and you know, a lot of times we're one thing in front of people and we're another thing behind closed doors. For a lot of us, we've learned to speak one language in front of people and a different language behind closed doors. And it's interesting, as I've gone to other countries, this is true. Places like Haiti, they speak French because that's a proper language. It's a business language. So when you're in the public, you speak French. But when you go home, you speak Creole. And it's it's a different language. And even in, when we were in Peru, they spoke uh, Spanish when they were in public, and they spoke Ketchikan when they were in private. And I think the danger we have as Christians is we speak Christianese at church, and we speak worldies at home, right? We speak the way of the world when nobody's looking, and we speak the way of Christ when everyone's looking, and that's the challenge of our words. And this is one of the areas I believe, because I speak for a living, <laughs> it can be very dangerous. It can be very dangerous. And, it, and more has happened. All the wars that have ever happened, all of the things that, that are taking place today, all the issues we see in the world can be rooted back to words. Because words are so powerful. And they make such an impact. And so we can either have life-filling words or words that lead to death. And so we're going to look at that. How important are our words? How important are your words as we look at God's word? So let's listen to him and look to his word to see what he has to say to us today. So let's precede his word with prayer. (sighs) Father God, you are worthy and you are um, the truth. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask to reveal that truth to us, Lord. And I I recognize even in this part of your words to us that you spoke through James and you said, be careful when you teach this. Because there's a greater judgment. And so, Lord, I ask that I would be faithful in these moments. And, Lord, as we listen to this and we contemplate what this means, and, Lord, as we reflect on our lives and we evaluate and we consider who we are in you, we consider the things that we say, we consider our thoughts and our heart, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that we would not fall into the trap of feeling just guilt or shame, but that we would, we would recognize that you are pushing us towards life, and sometimes that hurts a little bit, sometimes that's not easy. And so maybe today we just got to challenge ourselves a little bit more to walk a little bit closer to you. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak through your words. Thank you for James. Thank you for his commitment to you. Thank you for his obedience and recording what you spoke through the Holy Spirit for him to record for us today. Help our spiritual ears to be open. Help our minds to understand. And Lord, help our actions to reveal these truths about who we are and what we believe. And so we ask this uh, as we, we anticipate your return. We're preparing for that. Lord, help us as we worship you now by studying your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we go to James, I just think it's interesting because the Bible is a very family-centric book. It talks about a lot of families, a lot to do in the Old Testament with Abraham's family. Um, Through thousands of years, even to today, many people connect their whole identity in a family, the Abraham family, that they are descendants of Abraham. Family is such an important part of Scripture. Um, It is connected in so many ways. In in salvation, the analogy of, of adoption, we are adopted into God's family, that when Christ died on the cross and he raised from the dead that he instituted an adoption of us into his family becoming his children we become brothers and sisters it's family centric it's built on the principles of family and when you think of Jesus's family the first person you typically think of is his mother Mary 
What an amazing woman. You know, and, and, and I know as Baptists, we, we, we want to lean against maybe some of the Catholic background, and so we don't dive into the worship of Mary. Obviously, Mary needed a Savior. She even recognizes that. But I don't think we want to lean so far away to not recognize how amazing Mary was, how committed of a person she was to Christ, that God, out of all the women that ever lived on this planet, he chose her to be the place that he would come through and to nurture and to raise And so it's powerful when I consider her that when she finds out that her life gets flipped upside down, she finds out that now she's going to be pregnant outside of wedlock and she's going to be disgraced because of that. Um, Here is her response. Here are the words she says when she comes to this place in her life that God puts in a major challenge in front of her, that there's a major uh, obstacle to overcome. Here's how she responds in Luke chapter 1 verse 46. And Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, and I call her blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And today, we are part of that generation He has performed mighty deeds in his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Many of us call this Mary's song. This is what she declared with her words. She was probably 14 years old and listened to the wisdom of this young woman, the mother. Now we see why Jesus was brought into this earth through her, because of her obedience, because of her wisdom, and because that she considered it pure joy to be the mother of Christ. So much so that she says, they will call me blessed. What a powerful testimony for this morning. And that leads us to James chapter 3. Because her words revealed something about her character. Her words revealed something about her nature. Her words revealed something about her faith. And that's what I believe James is speaking to us here in chapter 3 about as we begin. James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault is what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And so out of all the verses I've ever read in Scripture, this is the most sobering for me, because this is what I feel God has called me to do. And so he's saying, look, this morning when I judge this room, this guy right here is going to get the greater judgment. And that is a scary thing. But it's not just a scary thing. It's also a revelation. It's a revelation that we are to handle this word in a way, such a way that we value it above all else. That we look at God's word, and it is not just some other book. It is not something created by man. It is not just literature of history. It is not just something that came and gone. It's not something that man made up. It is literally the words of God. 
And God has entrusted them into weak people like me and you. And he's entrusted us to rightly understand it, to invest our minds into it, that we may understand it in a truthful way, that we would understand it in a way that is accurate. I believe one of the greatest challenges, and if you consider being a teacher of God's word, if you consider being in the ministry, if you feel God is calling to it, recognize that hypocrisy and inaccuracy undermine the message. God hates when those who declare to be his tell falsehoods. And it, can't, it may not even be a falsehood directly. It can be a falsehood in how it's applied. We see that throughout the New Testament, how the Pharisees, they were the teachers. They were God's instruments. They were supposed to be the voice of God to the people so the people could understand what God wanted them to know. And yet the Pharisees took truth and misapplied it. They took truth and they used it for their own benefit. They took truth and manipulated it for power and wealth. And if you read the New Testament, there's only one group that Jesus gets upset with on a regular basis. There's only one group that Jesus says, you white tomb sepulchers, you snakes. How dare you declare that you are from me when you're really from Satan? How dare you pronounce the words of God, but your hearts burn with the fires of hell? How dare you take on truth and distort it so others believe a lie because they watch you and they listen to you? This is a great task for anyone to take on, to rightly divide the word of God, to share it accurately, to not put their opinions into it, to not put their perspectives into it, to not try to manipulate it for their own gain or for their own established power or place, but to deliver it with its truth, recognizing the message. I am a speaker like these speakers that you're listening. I am just a speaker. And God's word is here for me and it's for you and it's for us to listen to. And it is valuable for training and for reproof, and leading us into righteousness. And so this is so important, because we live in a world that doesn't believe this. We live in a world that there is no authority in Scripture, that God is an idea for weak people. We live in a world that discredits this. And we have to recognize that we cannot fall into that trap of believing this is made up, this is manipulated, these were just people that were trying to control other people. But this is literally the words of God spoken through the Holy Spirit into actual men who recorded these things to write down so that you and I could read today and our hearts could be spurned to goodness and faithfulness and righteousness. And so we go on. That was my part. That was for me. And we go on, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder everywhere the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force it sets on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a word of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on by the fire of hell. All kinds of animals and birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is the restless evil full of deadly poison. I would say this. 
We should never underestimate the power of our words. I think this is tightly connected to how James began the passage. Because for a speaker, I speak from my heart and I speak from a place of knowledge of what God has given. And for you, you speak that to others. And what happens when you speak a lot? You speak a lot. Guess what? And the counsel of much talk comes sin. Right? Comes sin. And, and it may be easy at times to point in the right direction. But that same tongue can then point in the wrong direction. And the tongue that is full of life and the glories of God then can become the tongue of cursing and damnation. The tongue that speaks the truth of God can also speak the evil that comes from the heart of hell. And so we cannot be blinded to this. We can't just believe, well, I know these things and I talk about these things. Or you can't sit there and say, well, I've heard these things and I know these things. Because it's not about just knowing them or saying them. It's about your heart. Where is your heart at? And if we underestimate the power of our words, we do not recognize that God has established the universe through his words, that our words declare who we are, that Jesus says it's not, it doesn't defile you what you put into your mouth. What defiles you is what comes from your heart in the form of words. In the form of words. And I think the biggest challenge for almost all the churches in the United States is dealing with how we talk about each other, how we talk about people. Because our words can be so full of poison. And the words we say can be so destructive. And the words we say can be overwhelming in how they impact the world. You know, I think of Germany and I think of this rise of this young man named Hitler. How did he rise to power? Because he spoke words that kindled fire in people and they were ready to follow him and start large armies and take on other nations. And it was all built in words. Read Mein Kampf. It's a book based about the thoughts that were coming out of the heart of wickedness and evil. Words impact the world. Your words impact your world. That's why they're so important. That's why James says, don't, don't consider that what you say uh, out here, if you can say these wonderful, nice words, if, if the words over here are evil, don't, don't think that somehow that's going to counterbalance it. No, this destructive fire can burn down a whole forest. This week I was, I was listening to a church service. A man gave a testimony as a young boy. As a young boy, his, his father, this young man, his father would tell him, you're never going to achieve anything. You're nothing. You're foolish. You'll never be able to read or write. You'll never be successful. You should never have been born. And the father would drink a lot, and the father would yell at them a lot, and he would tell them how worthless they are, and tell him how worthless he was, and he gained a lot of weight, and he got into drugs, and he failed out of school, and he kept remembering. It was resonating in his head what his father had told him, what his father had told him. It must be true. And those words resonated in his life until a friend invited him to a church, and he heard that God did not speak that into his life. That God loved him so much that he died on a cross so that he could have freedom, so that he could have life. That he rose from the grave so he could have eternal life. And in that moment, that young man gave his life to Christ and he said, I no longer believe those words my father told me. I no longer believed them. I believed what God said. 
and things shifted. And you know, his father ended up dying of cancer, but in his last year of life, the Lord had spoken into his father's life, and he said, the most amazing thing has happened to me. My father said, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And as destructive as those words were as a young boy, the power of the words, the last words he could say to him, the impact of good that was made in his life. Because words are extraordinarily powerful. You think about your life, you think about those things, you think about yourself, you think about the world, how many things in your life have been dictated to you because of someone else saying them to you. Words that have been planted deep into your soul because they're painful. Words that have been planted deep into your heart because you can't forget them. Words are extraordinarily powerful. And we should never underestimate the power of how words can destroy us. And then how words can lift us up. And James is not overlooking that because he recognizes this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what Christ has come. In heaven, we're not going to badmouth each other. In heaven, there is no more gossip. In heaven, there is encouragement and, and there is support because that is what God intended from the very beginning. But on earth, we're struggling with this. Look what he says. With the tongue, we praise the Lord the, and the Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praises and cursings. One of C.S. Lewis' books, he's the author of The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe. He wrote a lot of theology about Christianity. And one of the things he said is, it seems as though the the greater good you can do, also the greater evil you're able to do. And I think it's true. I think we're fooling ourselves when we start to believe that I can't fall into the traps of sin. I can't fall into those temptations. If you live in your own power, if you live in your own might, you're in a very dangerous place. When you live by the Spirit of God and and you submit to that and you ask, please help my mouth not to be full of cursings. Help my mouth not to be full of things that are defiled. And it starts with my heart. Clean my heart. Help my heart to be pure. He says... In verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh water. He's saying, look, you cannot love God and hate people simultaneously. You cannot love God and curse people simultaneously. You can hate God and hate people But the equation can never be, I love God and I hate people. That is an impossible equation. And if we find ourselves there, we need to ask God for his help because we cannot live in that place. It is destructive, not only for us, but for those that are around us. And so I come back to the initial question, how important are our words? Mark 12, 30 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And it says, the next is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when we read heart there, we tend to think emotion. But in reality, as we look at how Jesus was teaching, Jesus said, it is from your heart your words are produced. And so your heart produces your words, and then your words produce your destination. And so you say something, and then you follow what you said. They're a jerk. They're dumb. I follow it. They're foolish, I follow it. 
You follow your words, but your words are produced within your heart. And so the very first thing we're called to do, if we're going to be in a right relationship with God, if we're going to live in his grace, or if we're going to be adopted into his family and live with his family as the way of our life, then we love the Lord our God with our heart. And to love God with our heart is to have a pure heart where our words are pure and undefiled. And so it makes sense to me that James says, if you want to be a talker for me, be careful. Because you're going to have a higher judgment. Because when you talk, you're talking from your heart. And if your heart is not pure, if your heart is not in the right place, then you're going to cause people to stumble. And you're going to cause a lot of problems. It's your words. And I believe every one of us in this room, we have inclinations. And some of us like to talk a lot. And some of us don't like to talk at all. But our heart dictates who we are. It dictates our thoughts. It dictates our actions. And if our heart is dark and dirty and and has not been cleansed, then our words are going to live into that. Our actions are going to live into that. Our mentalities are going to live into that. And so the essence of what Mark is saying is love God with your words. And so my question to me and my question to you, do you love God with your words? And you say, it's so hard. I'm there too. There's times I look back and say, why would I say that? Why would I say that? Why did I say that? Why did I say it that way? That's a constant in my life. And I say, God, you got to help me. See, the, the reality is we think you come to church and everything's fixed right away. Right? It's the expectation. I'm never going to say anything bad ever again after this message. No, it's a journey. It's a refinement. You don't create beautiful art in a second. You don't create something of value in a second. It takes time and refinement of God molding you and shaping you. That that what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's beginning to reveal things so that you can grow in it. And you say, my words. First, how are my words? And then, am I submitting them to the Lord? Am I submitting them to the Lord? You can go to the next slide. In this slide, you're going to see uh, my family on my, my side. This is my mom, who passed away two years ago. My, my nana, who passed away three years ago. My grandmother, who passed away. Who's with, they're all with the Lord. Um, that was about 10 years ago. And then my aunt, who I went to her husband's funeral two weeks ago. So there's a lot of movement in that part of my family. A lot of them are in heaven waiting for me to get there. And they're watching, and they're like, Mike, keep going. <laughs> But it was interesting because we were at my, my uncle's funeral and on the way back, we're, we're sitting there and my daughter's there and she says, Dad, um, your aunt sounds a lot like mom. And I said, what do you mean she sounds a lot like mom? And she said, Dad, when she talks to you, you know she cares about you. And it's true. My mom lived this out. I never heard my mom say anything bad. I was like, don't you say bad things? (laughs) She was the example. And I knew when she talked to me that she loved me very much. Oh, okay. 
But that's what I want to be true of me. And that's what I know you want to be true of you. That your words are remembered that you gave life. That your words built up. That your words supported. That your words were, were things that we remember in a positive way and not a negative way. And James says, he says this is so important. This is so important. That if we follow Christ, that this should be true of who we are. How do we do this? It's very difficult because in our flesh, it's impossible. It even says in the verse, it's impossible for us to train our, our tongue because sin just dictates to us what to say sometimes. We don't think about it. But through the Holy Spirit, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And so for us to see this transformation in our life, we need to spend time with God. The best way to become like him is to spend time with him. Make time in your schedule. Don't be too busy with the things that are temporary and miss the things that are eternal. Make time to spend with God, whether through prayer or through reading his word or just listening and and allowing him to speak into your life. And then I would say another way to apply this is to spend time with the people that love God. The people that love God are the people we need to build relationships with. Being here this morning, be in a Sunday school class, be in our Bible studies, be around people that love God. Have someone you can be accountable to. I think one of the greatest blessings of a good parent is their accountability for their children, that they watch over and guard and protect and guide. We all need that, even if we're not children anymore. We need people in our lives that we are accountable to, that help maintain strong barriers, because we all have weaknesses. We all have areas we fall into, especially with our words. And so we need those that will be our accountability partners. And so get in a group. Get with someone. Don't do this alone. Don't isolate yourself. The world might be in a time of isolation and social distancing. As Christians, we're we're to dive deeper and closer in our spiritual walks with each other. We're called to be one as we are one in Christ. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may be benefit to those who listen. Write that verse down. Put that somewhere where you're going to see it. Put it in a place that reminds you that today I can't let anything unwholesome come out of my mouth. Not only is that what I'm not supposed to do, but what I'm supposed to do is lift others up. And support them and say things that benefit them and encourage them to walk with the Lord and live for the Lord. To do this, you need to know Christ as your personal Savior. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, that is the very first thing you need to do. We're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be born into his family. Have you been born into his family? He says, for as with your heart you believe and are justified with your mouth, that you profess faith and are saved. You're saved from the death the words and the world has. And you're saved to the grace of Christ. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision? If you have, what is God saying to you today? If his Holy Spirit lives in you, what is he sharing with you? What is he directing you in? How is he speaking to your heart? Ephesians 2.8 is a great verse for all of us to say every morning as we start out the day. Actually, Psalms 19.14. 
May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Before we pray, it's time for all of us to come together. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is to say this out loud with me. Consider what it says. Believe it to be true. And make it something that's yours. So if you would repeat after me, Psalms 19.14. May these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father God, you are worthy of our praise. You are our redeemer.